Welcome to Nature Knows, conversations with wild warriors and changemakers. I'm your host, Jen Vitenzo, and this podcast is all about nature, both the wild kind outside our front doors and the humankind written within our DNA. Each episode showcases an individual who has dedicated their efforts to create a better today to ensure we have an actual tomorrow, and they are using their unique creative fingerprints to do it. These are the wild warriors and change makers constructing the bridges necessary to connect us all, human to human, species to species, worlds to worlds. Hello and welcome to another episode of Nature Knows. Today's guest is Shana Hume. She is an aerospace engineer who happens to be a Matthew Isakowitz fellow. She's an entrepreneur. She's a space ad advocate. She's a podcast host. She's read 52 books in 52 weeks, and she's a firm believer that there's space at the table for everyone. She's also the person that if you're going into space, will make sure that your entry out of the atmosphere and back in is safe. So without further ado, I give you the amazing Shana Hume. We're here with Shana Hume. I'm very excited to talk to you. I'm all about the aerospace stuff right now. I'm like very, so keen to hear about the projects that you're working on and everything. And I talked to Hannah, which is how we connected in the first place. And I've also sent out some messages to the people that you've referred me to. So we're still we're working on some 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 thoughts, some ideas. So thank you. I'm very excited. Um, yeah. So so just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sort of how you where where are you from? Where how you got started and all this. Like what your what your journey was getting you from point yeah. A to where you are now. And don't mind me because I will I be mean, drinking from my sloth tea and my Winnie the Pooh mug because I'm professional I like that. that. So cute. So perfect. Um, so my journey. I didn't want to be an engineer and I do want to proceed my story with that because I think it's wild how little girls who are good at math aren't told very often that they should consider engineering. I loved math as a kid, you know, I was very good at math, I enjoyed it and somehow engineering uh, didn't hit me until I was already on my way to college which I think is just a little bit, you know, kind of sad and disappointing, but also so lucky that I did find it in time. So growing up, I wanted to be a writer very badly. And I was homeschooled. I spent so much time having fun with co-ops and the homeschooling community and practice writing fiction novels. And it was a really lovely way to grow up. I was in the Metro DC area and I decided for high school to apply to a magnet school. So it's a public school with an application to get in, but free to attend. And so I applied to one that was known for being great at STEM in the DC area so that I would have, you know, some kind of experience before college, uh, getting used to the other parts of the world. When I got in, I went and I kept writing. I joined the journalism crew there. I became editor-in-chief and I fell in love with writing op-eds. Anything that's viciously sarcastic is very <laughs> on my alley. <laughs> You're my people. <laughs> mm, yes, and then honestly, I do like to say that I got lucky. I ran across an astronomy class that one of the teachers there was uh, regularly teaching every fall. And it was all about the origin and evolution of the solar system. And I fell in complete love with the topic. It was the very first time in my life that I felt like instead of something competitive and difficult, 
trying to chew me up and maybe spit me back out. It was the first time that I did something that was really hard. And the teacher was just like, yeah, keep trying, even if you're not good at it right away. Like, don't let it chew you. Don't let it be a rat race. You know, really relax and enjoy what you are learning and how you are growing through those little growing pains. And I, I kind of just fell in love with the topic and community of astronomy from there. So that's the basis of my origin story. From there, I uh, turned on my batteries and I went into a little hyperdrive mode. I found a little astronomy camp out in the desert and I spent the next summer out in the desert right outside of Tucson, Arizona. I saw the Milky Way for the first time above me, which is an unreal experience. Everyone should be able to see a galaxy above them. That is yeah. you know, something that we all should be able to do. So if you're from a city, do make it out there at some point. Yeah. And then after that, I decided that I was going to be an engineer because I wasn't very good at staying up at night. I couldn't be an astronomer for that reason. I love my sleep. <laughs> but I still wanted to build things that did astronomy. I wanted to build missions that would go look at other galaxies from space, or I wanted to build missions that would go directly to other planets, the one closest to us, Mars. And so I applied to NASA. I got a NASA internship, amazingly. And from there, I kind of just jumped, you know, at 10 times speed into this whole career and this whole field. And I haven't really looked back since. I like your shirt, by the way. <laughs> Speaking of Thank NASA. You. For everyone who's looking, it's a NASA t-shirt. It's awesome. I think I got this um, one on Black Friday one year. Oh, I love it. I mean, I love that story too, because it's it's so indicative of the fact that you don't have to follow one path necessarily to get, you know, in fact, every, not everyone, but a significant number of people that I've spoken to have gone this very convoluted route to get from where they are to the next step to the next, I mean, like I was a singer-songwriter and then working in South Africa and wildlife stuff. And it's like, but it's about having this passion for things and wanting to learn about things and 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 just exploring. And I think that is so indicative of, of the arts and the sciences, which is why I was always like, well, it's not really STEM, it's really STEAM because the arts are so much affiliated with that because it is this incredible curiosity. And the fact that as a writer, you're exploring and as an engineer, you're exploring and, and with astrophysics, all that stuff, it's exploring. I took one astronomy class, I will tell you this, and I was awful. I loved it. Again, it's like you're right, seeing the Milky Way, amazing, amazing. It's such an incredible sight. But um, I was terrible at astronomy, so I was like, I'll just write about it and let someone else do the actual work yeah. about that. You can still enjoy it, even if you yeah. don't find yourself, you know, drawn to the mathematics of it. Yeah, no, I'm, unfortunately, math is not. I, I mean, I, I think it's fascinating. It's just I'm not good at it. So, mm. um, but that's really interesting. So you, we were talking previously, and we were talking about stuff like the overview effect and um I was actually listening to, I, you sent me to all these other podcasts and all these other yeah. people to check out. And I've been just like sucking it all up for the last few weeks since we first spoke. And there's just such amazing work that's being done out there. And it's, it's incredible. Like seeing how everything is, it's, it's so easy to go kind of forest to the trees that, that sort of having a very myopic vision and not necessarily seeing the big picture or vice versa, only seeing the little bits and not seeing the big picture. And mm -hmm. 
I imagine looking at the, you know, the, the, the globe, the earth from outside of earth is probably very much about, wow, this is a lot, everything's much smaller and everything's interconnected and everything's really, it's all in one spot. And yet when you get down onto the micro level where we are, everything is separated. And, you know, we're so convinced that this can't work with that and that can't work with that. And it's like, no, no, we're all in this together, guys. We're all kind of <laughs> see if we can make it work. <laughs> Yeah. Um, One of the prominent uh, observations by astronauts is when they look back at the Earth from the ISS, the International Space Station, they're struck by the fact that they are used to looking at maps and maps have borders drawn on them. And when they look down at the Earth, they can't tell a single country apart because they have no idea where the borders would even be. And it's the first time in their life they're looking at this real life map beneath them but there's not a single line drawn. Right, right, which is in such a statement, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's fascinating. I think like I said, very fascinated by that stuff. So your area of, of study right now is, is what, specifically? So right now, uh, my journey continued. I got my bachelor's degree in aerospace engineering. And this fall, I'm finishing up my master's degree in aerospace engineering and a master's in engineering management as well, so that I can move eventually into a bit more of a program manager role. But my long-term goal is I'm working on my PhD right now in the area of entry, descent, and landing, which is the processes that we use to land spacecraft, manned or unmanned, or personned or unpersoned, crude or uncrewed. I made the mistake that I hate myself there. And how we can land those safely, both on our own planet and on other planets and even asteroids someday. Oh, that's really cool. I would imagine an asteroid yeah. would be incredibly difficult though. That's not, yes. I imagine so easy to, like other things, it's like you kind of know what their trajectory is, you know what their orbit is and you can gauge a little bit. Not that that's easy, because it's not, yeah. but it seems like asteroids seem a little less predictable. So I don't specifically do asteroids. I love focusing on anything with an atmosphere. That is my particular specialty. But a lot of my coworkers do work on asteroids. And I think the hardest part isn't even the trajectory because that, again, is it's mathematics. There's less error in the trajectory than you'd think. But it's the fact that the landing vehicle doesn't even have an atmosphere to work with. It right. doesn't have a way of naturally slowing down. Uh, you have to have so much better propulsion. The challenges associated make me so impressed with the countries that are doing that right now. Yeah, talk about an alien world because you're dealing with, it's not just dealing with the new atmosphere. It's dealing with no, mm -hmm. no atmosphere, no nothing. No it's like, right, it's going to just bounce off. You know, you have no idea how yeah. quickly you're slowly... That's pretty, again, so far beyond my comprehension because mm. math idiot here, but absolutely <laughs> fascinated by the people that can do it because it is, it's incredible and it's just incredible work. Um, mm. So in one of the things that I found with the careers that I've chosen in the, in the fields that I've worked in is that there tends to be a lack of, and I actually really like the fact that you're doing the management as well as you're sort of dealing with the business side of things as well as, which is again, a part of that whole, it's not silo. It's really, everything is sort of interconnected because, um, you know, I, I've talked to some, and I, a very good friend of mine actually is one of my closest friends is a structural engineer. And I worked with her for a while doing a lot of writing for her. And, uh, I know it, I was like having to learn it on the fly. And, um, 
what she did was also a lot of the business stuff because she's like, there's a lot of engineers that are never taught a lot of the business side of things and, and the communication side of things. And in every field, there's this, there's, there's been a consistency of, unless you're sort of liberal arts, which is kind of across the board broad. So you cover a lot of topics. It, um, and it's not that you wouldn't necessarily with an engineering degree, but it's, it's a lot more specific. And so you don't necessarily get to have a business course or to have like a management course or a, or a language but with anything else, even the computer programming is, a, and as opposed to a different kind of engineering or, um, and so they, she always used to joke that it was hard to have conversations with them because they spoke engineering and purely engineering and nothing else mm -hmm. outside of engineering. <laughs> Um, so it's really awesome. I think that you're doing that because it is, it's, it's every industry is a different language, but they're all connected to each other. And so to be able to speak from the perspective of seeing it again, more from that overview perspective than the individual pieces, I think is so important because also when you're doing these projects, I imagine, obviously you're not again, working in a, you know, it's not a vacuum, you know, you might be actually, you may be working in an actual vacuum, but <laughs> a, literal uh, vacuum. <laughs> a literal, a literal one, but at the same time, there are so many people involved with these projects. I mean, there have to be, some of these projects have to have thousands of people connected in some way, shape or form. And you have to be able to interact and dialogue with and you know, talk people through the stuff that you're doing and then be on the same page. And also if they have information that you need that you can connect with each other and communicate with each other effectively to, to do the, the final project, to get it all going. So, um, I, I was always fascinated by meeting people who are like, well, I wouldn't, why would I study that? Because I don't need it in my career. And I'm like, well, you might not you need do. that specifically, but even the ability to, to speak to something else, maybe that one connector between you and somebody else. Um, by the way, you might hear a little bird. We have, I have a bird feeder <laughs> right outside the window and oh, I didn't have the heart to close the window because there's a little oh. fledgling and he's a little late to the party. Um, he or she, I'm not sure if it's a boy or a girl, um, or whatever it's, but it's, it's just sort of sitting at the feeder, sort of just eating away. And if I move the window, close yeah. the window, he's going to, he won't be able uh, to fly up. Yeah. So <laughs> you might hear a few tweets. That's perfectly fine. No, but I, I agree so much with what you were saying, you know, as a illustrative story, there is a famous Mars mission that crashed on the surface of Mars and was not recoverable. And so all the science that potentially could have been done was lost. And the reason it crashed is this, you know, anecdotal story that engineers always like using now because it was a collaboration between Americans and Europeans and they didn't switch the units between metric and imperial. It all comes down to communication and what people are saying to and from each other. And the story that I like to build on an extension of that oh-so-classic one for us is that there's lots of different types of communication. If you have a business, especially a startup business in a new industry like space that has a chance to change something, if you have engineers telling one story at the business folks, and the business folks and the finance folks telling another story at the engineers, there is going to be a significant lack of communication that inhibits the growth and the success of that organization or that company because they can't work together. They see limits and problems and they don't tend to see how they can work together to make something even better. Right. So it's extremely important to have people who, even if they're not great at everything. You don't have to be all that. You don't have to spend all day studying everything. 
but being able to reach over and understand little bits of whatever it is you are passionate about is just so key to the success of those operations. Yeah, one of the big challenges we run into with conservation is because mm-hmm. so much of the language that is consistent uh, traditionally and historically been put out there is very scientifically oriented or mm-hmm. um, talking about animals, you know, animals that you would only find in Africa or in Asia and trying to get people in the United States on board when they're saying, well, we have, why do we, should we care about this? Because it's, and, and, and missing that opportunity to draw the connections between not only the global connection overall of how this affects this affects that, but also uh, take this animal and substitute it with this animal. And these are the challenges that this they're facing there that we're also facing here. Um, but also that the language itself, because it was, you know, every other word was 12 syllables. <laughs> great Latin names and everything. It's really interesting. But it stops people because they don't know what they don't know what they're reading. You know, they don't know what they're yeah. hearing, and it's hard to connect with and find something you can identify with. It's hard to care about something when you don't understand what it is. You know, you you're like why why should I? You know, um, I don't even know what they're saying. <laughs> so the yeah. worst science communicators are the ones who say exactly what the science is and who don't bother to translate it into a language that will be helpful. Yeah, somebody was saying, because this is a lot of the work that I would do in South Africa, which was essentially taking a lot of the complicated stuff and distilling it down to more general terms so that people who didn't weren't scientists could understand. And I remember somebody making a comment at one point about, oh, are you dumbing it down? I'm like, no, I'm not dumbing it down. I'm making it accessible. You know, each industry has their lingo and their language. And it's like, if you change that and if you convert it all back to like all the acronyms of this, 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 and this, 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 they're all specific to the industries, but they end up meaning the same things. If you break them down into sort of what they're, they're I guess you'd say English in this case, because we're speaking English, but if you use their English equivalent saying like, you know, your ATM is an automatic teller machine, you know, in so many industries, it, but there's so many industries that have these acronyms and you don't know what the acronyms are, so you don't know what's going on. And if you just take it down to their actual, what is it? It is a it is a machine that spits out money. Um, it's not dumbing it down. It's just showing people what it is and not in the terms for that particular industry in terms that everyone would understand because they're not necessarily in that industry. And um, there, it's just fascinating to me sometimes talking to people that are like, well, why, would we, why should we, why? that's just, that's making it, you know, why would we do that? And I'm like, well, do you care if people fund your projects? Do you care if people care yeah. about these situations? Do you care about... Are you an exclusionary industry or are you an inclusionary, you an inclusionary industry? industry? Do you want exactly. people to learn about what you're doing? Yeah, and also care about what you're doing. If you don't want them to know, then by all means, stick to the... <laughs> you know. Yeah, stick to the acronyms. So, um, right. Space is very guilty of that, by the way. Uh, space, especially once you get to aviation and to military space, which I, I did an internship or two on the private, uh, more government and military side of aerospace. And there's a million acronyms, you know, it is a very essential part because the lingo inside that little niche is so useful. It speeds yeah. things up. It gets everyone on the same page. But like you said, it's a very specialized dictionary. So you have to understand its usefulness and its place. If you're just spitting out vocabulary and strings of letters because it's what you're used to, you need to take a moment and think about what is the purpose of the conversation you're having. 
Right. Because the shorthand makes sense when you're talking to someone else who understands mm-hmm. the shorthand. And it actually yeah. is very useful because it minimizes the amount of time it takes to get yeah. a point across when you're talking to someone who understands what those acronyms are. And, but yeah, when you're talking yeah. to someone who doesn't, it's like, oh, yeah, this is, you might as well speak another, because you are speaking another language for all intents yeah. and purposes. So when I'm learning something new, what I'll do is I'll take notes on whatever paper I'm reading or a textbook and I'm trying to understand a new technique. I'll take notes and I'll detranslate the textbook for myself because before I get used to all those acronyms, I don't want to have to look back and forth. So I'll write a one sheet notepad where I just keep the summary. And it's the most basic language in the world, you know, not a mathematical symbol in sight. And, you know, it really just goes to show you can't, even if you know a lot about math or acronyms or anything, you can't always just jump into it. You have to build up a base understanding and then yeah. practice. A base vocabulary, as yeah. 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 And sometimes I don't even want to go into the vocabulary. I don't want to memorize all that extra information. Sometimes <laughs> I just want to know, Part A makes part B do this. And I don't need to go further than that. Yeah, sometimes that is all you need. Um, Very cool. I'm just, again, my my mind is blown. Um, So here's a question with, again, regarding the industry that you're in, which again, Mm -hmm. traditionally, sort of historically, has been very male-dominated. How has it been for you as a female getting involved in these fields and um, any challenges that you faced or... Um, any things that have been really helpful for you that you would like to pass on to somebody else to say, hey, you know, well, whatever. I'm going to leave it up to you. (laughs) Sure. Uh, So first off, I want to give a shout out to my current program. The University of Colorado Boulder is one of the most equitable programs that I've seen in terms of diversity and gender and so many other things. It is home to so many people and even though you know right now we're all working virtually and things are different when i arrived on campus a few years ago yeah six years for a phd program it's a long time um when i arrived a few years ago it was the first time that i didn't feel like a token you know minority being a woman in the room And it was the coolest feeling ever because it is so much stress and effort to have to represent any group, you know, any gender um, minority, any racial minority, anything else like that will understand that feeling of having everyone look at you and you have to suddenly represent all these people behind you. It's just, it's stressful, even if nothing bad is happening. Um, So I love my current program. The dean of the College of Engineering, when I got here, one of the first goals that he set up was getting to exact 50-50 gender representation. I'm not sure if it was an accepted applicants or an applicants who accepted our offer, but either way, he made evening out that board across all majors a first priority. And I just think that's so cool that, you know, he arrived at the school and that was the first thing he wanted to do. So shout out to that. Now, in terms of in the past, um, I'd like to think that I've been lucky. I haven't suffered horrifically, but I think a lot of people who deal with, you know, breaking through those glass ceilings will know that, you know, we don't live in a decade where typically people will come up and spit in your face and tell you you're a woman and you should leave. Uh, It's not usually that dramatic for people who live in the United States right now. 
And so a lot of the aggressions that we look for and that we feel entering a male dominated industry like aerospace engineering are the ones that are, you know, significantly more as micro aggressions. Some of the things that I can remember, like I said, uh, I was good at math. I even became good at astronomy. And yet, even when I was doing astronomy, no one really told me, hey, you should consider getting an engineering degree. You're good at that stuff. I don't think anyone suggested that to me before I decided that it might be a good idea. Uh, When I read stories, space is an amazing industry, not only because of what it does, but because it has a really cool history behind it. There are so many books you can read about the adventures in aviation and the early astronauts and, you know, Chuck Yeager breaking the sound barrier. But when we read those stories, women are left out very often. It's only recently, in the last five years mainly, when stories like Hidden Figures and The Glass Universe about some scientists up at Harvard University have become very public and we've started realizing the role that female coders, female computers, uh, and female mathematicians had in the growth of this industry. And so, although it's amazing to see growing up and looking at this backstory, especially in college before those stories became mainstream media popular, it was a little discouraging not to see any familiar faces, just to see the white male pilots. And I didn't want to be a a military pilot. I wanted to be an engineer who worked on space. So it's not just white male, it's white male military, which is even more constricting. I had a few experiences scattered here and there with male coworkers who would, you know, maybe disrespect the female in terms of time, keep them talking for a long time in a way that they wouldn't keep the male in terms occupied and talking to them, Uh, little things like that along the way. And there was never a good addressing of it early in undergrad. There wasn't a lot of mentorship on how to deal with those situations. What I found in the transition from undergrad to grad school is that I started talking to women in the industry and I started seeking out that mentorship and asking these questions myself. Some of the questions might be, how do you deal with something that feels like a microaggression, but you're not sure and you don't wanna attack a coworker just because you have a gut feeling that something's wrong. How do you deal with your peers who might make a snide comment saying, oh, well, you're more likely to get that job than I am because you have the woman card. Uh, It's little things that discredit your work. And regardless of any affirmative action or not, these are still aggressions that would hurt any woman who is trying to raise her own profile and pursue her own career. Uh, The statistics or truth of the matter doesn't actually matter you know it's just damaging to that one person who is trying their absolute best so you know like i said the mentorship it makes a big deal asking other adult women in the industry how they did it secondly it's about focusing on continuing to pass it down a lot of women try to i think historically focus on themselves get themselves to a place where they don't feel so attacked And then they say they'll look back and help someone else. I don't think 
that that is a common opinion anymore. And if it still is, and I'm wrong, I think it'll be disappearing soon. I think people, even at the undergrad level, are starting to reach back to high schoolers and are beginning to help. There's a much stronger network of women supporting women um, and women supporting, you know, non-binary, gender minority, et cetera. It's becoming more inclusive by the day and people aren't waiting until they're in that position of power to say, okay, now that I belong, I'll help out. They're starting to help out from the beginning. And I think that's amazing because it helps your prospects going forward and it helps other people to see not some executive who they don't understand, who's 30 years into their career, but just to see another woman who's a few years older than themselves and how to deal with it. Right. Thirdly, the thing that I say helps the most is being a little bit stubborn about who you are. It's so very easy to look at a problem around you, a situation, and see how other people are succeeding in it and to do it their way because we imitate what we see as successful. And in things like aerospace and especially space where you're trying to break into such a tiny little community and when you're starting out, it feels hard to do so. It would just be so easy to look at the role models who are mainly white men and do what they do. But I had an amazing conversation recently with another female undergraduate peer of mine. And we both have been thinking about it over the last few years since we left undergrad. And something that's very important to us is owning our own style of success and our own style of leadership and being stubborn with it and not getting rid of it just when it doesn't work one time. If you feel a failure, it's not because a female style of leadership or you style of leadership doesn't work. It just means that it didn't work that one time. And if you combine, you know, a little bit of nosiness, a little bit of grit, a little bit of stubbornness with whatever you think will work for you, there's a very good chance that you can keep muscling through the situation rather than just trying to feed into whatever boys club that most likely you, uh, originated in so that you can keep a little bit more of yourself intact along the way. Yeah. Well, that's the, the, the joy of seeing different representation now. It's that it not be, and this is not, again, you know, this is not to cut down white male or white male military. It is more oh. just the whole concept of so many different voices and perspectives and experiences that are coming to the table now. As you, was that the phrase you said, there's always space at the table, which I love. Yes. Um, there's space for everyone. There's space for everyone. <laughs> but it's it is so important to hear all these diverse stories and mm-hmm. and perspectives and and unique ways of doing things and to limit it to just one group again minimizes the opportunities because it's so you you're missing out on so many other things and so many other ways of doing things and mm-hmm. also to sort of pave your own way you're right it's like if it doesn't work one time you know, you don't get anywhere without mm-hmm. failing a few times. You know, it, that's part yeah. of growing. That's part of learning is that you have to fall. Sometimes you have to fall a lot. Sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes it's it's just a major uphill battle and you feel like you're just constantly pushing up that boulder and it just keeps rolling back down. But yeah. um, there there is so much to be said about sticking to it and having that grit and and knowing that you're, you're in the right space. <laughs> no pun intended. Sorry. Um, <laughs> 
It's Pun just not. Intended. Oh, you know, yes, you know what? It should be. Pun should always be intended. Yeah. Um, but so you're in that space, but you might not be getting where you need to be, but you, you're going to because you're, you're headed in the right direction and your head is in the right space with regards mm-hmm. to, you know, a final, yeah. final goal or, and, and to stay true to yourself is so important because it is really easy to just fall victim to, well, what is everyone else doing? It's like, well, that's great, but you're not everybody else. And by yeah. following what everyone else is doing, you're missing out on using the uniqueness that is you and giving the world the uniqueness that is you and the, you know, yeah. your particular perspective and unique and special perspective. And mm-hmm. um, you can be replaced. So you like, yeah. there is an element of, you know, you might have a lot of similarities with someone, but you're never going to be the same as someone else. And so you're, it's so valuable to have your experiences and your perspective and your way of doing things as, mm-hmm. as an option out there. And even if it doesn't work, just to know that it's an option that's out there. And like yeah. you said, with women having, having those role models, I think is, well, anyone, you know, whether you're a minority, whether you're gender non-binary, having someone who reflects you. I have to think as to it just makes such a difference to oh, yeah. your your self esteem too. Just to believe like that I can do. It's not just you know you have to believe in yourself already because it's a hard field. But everything is hard in life in one way or another, and to you have to be able to believe in yourself. But then to see someone else reflected who's like you, looks like you, has a similar background as you, to see them doing it is that much more affirming that you can mm-hmm. do it. And you know it's so easy yeah. to get so discouraged. So. You're one of very several people that I've spoken to who have said the same thing about the me- the importance of mentors as well, mm-hmm. and then also the handing it back. And it's really cool because I've seen it with college kids working with high school kids and high school kids working with um, grammar school kids now too, yeah. and reaching into that, which is just awesome. Because again, it's like it starts so young. We we have such a weird society that. Um, we're like ingratiating our children. We're ing- um, not ingratiating. That's not the right word. Uh, ingraining in our children this idea that you have to know what you want to do with the rest of your life when you're like three, and mm-hmm. and we have such a success in air quotes driven society that is based on like a corporate ladder or how much money you make and um, and you have to follow these set paths and and like you've said it, I've said it. It's we're walking examples. There isn't a set path. Um, no, and the and, zigzag is important. The zigzag is, you know, the flavor and yes. the qualities that you bring to the table. If someone comes to the table and all they can do is, I don't know, the dynamics of an aircraft structure, one random topic from aerospace, if that is all they can do and all they can do, their career is going to be very short-lived uh, or very long and very boring because you just can't do that one thing forever. You need to be able to bring lots of things to the table. And so for people who know what they want to do, that's fine. But even knowing what you want to do, there's zigzags along the way. I knew I wanted to do space when I turned 18, but I didn't figure out exactly what I wanted to do in space until I was about 22, 23. It still took four years of zigzagging around and trying this and trying that. And all of those different experiences bring together this kind of energy. You know, it's a diversity of people, types of people, and it's a diversity of experiences that all bounce off of each other and create a proving ground for even more exciting ideas. Right. 
Exactly. Yeah, I, I joke saying I don't. Mm-hmm. Even, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. But I think it's, yeah. I, I think it's more about there's so many things I love to do yeah. that it's hard to yeah. just say I'm just going to do one thing. And and you don't ever have to do like you you were a writer as well, and you are still a writer. You like you don't have to be just one thing. There is no guidebook yeah. saying you in the rule book that says you can only be this. You can yes. only be that. How many people do you know? It's a very, you know, American concept, right? To have like a name tag that says what your job is and that's your job. Right. Yeah. It's like easily defined. A lot of other places. Right. I mean, living that you are something. It's that you do things. You do so many different things. It's not what do you want to be. It's what do you want to do next? Yeah. Or who do you want to be? I think maybe even better way of looking at it to some degree of not just. I am defined by my job because none of us are defined by our jobs. Theoretically, I mean, we're one because you know, for me to say I'm a musician or for me to say that I'm a writer doesn't add into the fact that I do all of my own business stuff. So I'm also an entrepreneur and a businesswoman and a you know, it's so easy to just sort of pigeonhole and not look at the bigger picture of it all. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I just like I. It's so I, I always find it very important just to get across the idea to people. Because I just keep hearing it, especially with kid working with kids, I hear more and more that I have to. I can only do this, and I can only study this, and I can only. And I'm like, mm, no, you don't have to. I mean, yes, if you want to be a doctor, you're gonna have to go to med school, but you don't have to. Like my brother was a doctor, and he studied environmental science as his undergrad. Um, yeah. I have friends who are biochem majors that went into medicine, or they didn't go into medicine at all. They were biochem majors, and now they're writing songs, and they're not yeah, doing anything. One of my friends so, took a break before med school. She got her undergrad degree and then she went up to Harvard, you know, of all places, casually Harvard, and she got a master's degree in medical ethics. And then she started working with low income communities to see how medicine impacts them. And then she took a break, worked for a little bit at a research lab and decided that she wanted to go to med school. Things aren't linear and there's no start date to your career. There's right. no, you know, start date or expiration date from when you get out of college to when you retire. You right. can just keep doing things that you like and leading yourself down different paths. And you don't actually have to do them as careers either necessarily. You can, oh. if you, like for me, I'm fascinated with, with aerospace and, but I'm never going to have a career in it because yeah. God help the aerospace engineering, uh, aerospace <laughs> industry if they hire me as an engineer. <laughs> just a bad idea. Um but I mean, I am fat and I can still learn about it and I can still do some write, maybe do some writing about it or interview people that are involved in it and, and help yes. you guys get your voice out there and in your experiences. Yeah. Um, and I'm, but like, there's no saying that even if you love to do something, you don't have to make a career out of it either. You can do other things with it or it can be your hobby or it can be, you know, um, I have lots of friends. One of my closest friends was a children's dentist and his hobbies were photography and music. And he's got now this crazy studio and he takes these, emo- and he's now retired, but amazing photos. And that's like his, mm-hmm. he went to school and he was a, he was a dentist because he's like, well, that's how I'm making my living, but that's not mm-hmm. my life. You know, it's, yeah. it's part of who I am. Yeah, absolutely. But it doesn't define me. It's not the only thing. And, um, yeah, it's, oh, so for, we need to get, we need to change this whole perspective in the States that you have to be it's one thing. I think it might slowly be starting to change, but I think we'll really see as this next generation that's in college graduates and enters the workforce, 
whatever they do with that entering the workforce, whether it's a single career, whether it's a single company, or whether it's a whole plethora, like we just described, I think there's a changing personality that's going to emerge because people see how things connect more easily. It's probably a function of growing up in the internet age where you can reach information and connect it all the time. Yeah. You become a more flexible person, I think. Um, though don't cite me on any research to do with that. And I just think, you know, we will see changes and have the opportunity to do things differently. And that's one of my favorite things about the commercial space industry, uh, otherwise known as the new space industry, which is really where my career and all of my hobbies and my love sit. It's this industry that is so different than the old military, aviation, uh, spy plane, narrow-minded mindset of the past. And it's this whole arena of opportunity where, yes, aerospace engineers are valuable, but so is everyone else because you can't go to space on just an engineer. Right. Yeah. That's really cool. So I love are it. Any- I love the industry. It's so exciting. <laughs> are there any, I don't know what you can talk about, what you can talk about yeah. um, in terms of projects and things. Is there anything specific yeah. that you're working on or that you're interested in that you may not be working on at all, but yeah. just an area that you're interested in. You said new space, but anything specific you'd love to talk about? Like I'd love to hear, because this is actually, fa- I'm totally fascinated <laughs> by this. Oh, the great thing about this is that I can talk about all of this because it's not closed off and siloed and military. Uh, It is open to the public and it's very collaborative. So my main project, uh, which is going to turn into my dissertation eventually, is what I do for entry, descent and landing. And so I'm very interested in human exploration of our solar system. I think it's exciting. I think it's meaningful and I think it'll pave the way to many benefits that will trickle down to earth. Um, A topic I could talk about for so, so long. And what I do specifically is I work on coded algorithms that help guide you to the surface. You've seen automatic um, cars before, the self-driving ones, how they're supposed to stay in their lane and not deviate out of the lanes. Right. You can think of it kind of like that we have trajectories that we want to take down to the surface and we back solve them. We know where we want to land, maybe because there's a cool cave nearby or maybe because there's a mineral deposit under the soil and we want to be able to mine it. Whatever the reason is, we know where we want to land. And so our goal is to get there based on things like wind or dust storms or changes in the atmospheric composition, we can calculate how to get to that spot based on whatever the entry parameters, parameters is just a fancy word for information. Whatever the information is about our spacecraft when it hits the top of that planet. So in my example, Mars, most of the simulations that I create, which you know are just numbers running across a screen, I take all the information I can about the spacecraft at the moment it hits the top of the atmosphere. And I take simulated information about the atmosphere, which in real time, the spacecraft would be taking in through little sensors like temperature readings on the outside. And then I try to figure out how to keep our spacecraft between the two lanes. Because if you go outside of that, then there's a much higher percentage of failure. And everything we do is risk reduction. You can't do anything perfectly, like scrap the idea that engineering is about a perfect solution. Engineering is about a perfect solution, give or take. And we want to stay between those two lanes. 
And so my whole dissertation is what technologies can we use to improve our landing process? For so many decades, we were using a process that was virtually identical to what Apollo used to land on the moon, you know, 50 plus years 50, ago. Yeah. Which is crazy. And the reason is, you know, because we trust old technologies, we've seen them work, so we're willing to invest in them. There's no risk. You invest in new technologies, eventually you have to pay a lot of money to test them. And so it's that barrier to entry that a lot of governments and companies don't want to go past. So, you know, in university settings, we test out new ideas and we try to prove them to a certain extent that someday companies and governments can begin to use these technologies without being so afraid of them. Right. So that's the dissertation area. That's Can I really talk cool. about one more project that I love? You, of course, go nuts. Oh, you, yes. You're here. Oh. You're the guest. You talk away. <laughs> one of my favorite things that I work on right now is the concept of space settlements and space mining. We call it in-situ resource utilization. And of course, it has an acronym, ISRU. <laughs> All of you don't have to think of that, though. ISRU doesn't matter. Out one year already. Um, what you do want to think of it as space mining. Where, what resources do you use? Do you land on an asteroid and take minerals from under the surface? Do you land on the moon and pull minerals or chemicals down from the atmosphere and then use those to create fuel to get back to Earth? This space mining concept is all about using whatever's around you, living off of the land, basically, right. and then figuring out how to use that either to build up your settlement or to keep traveling or to go home. And this is just a very exciting topic that is growing for the very first time. There are companies that want to do this. Uh, Planetary, before it shut down, was a West Coast-based company that was all about this. There's a company called iSpace that's interested in space mining and is pioneering technologies to do it on the moon, like five to 10 years from now. And one of the organizations that I represent and I'm a part of, the Space Generation Advisory Council, is a group of under 35-year-olds who are interested in collaborating on a volunteer basis to figure out how internationally we can work together to do this. And so one of the projects that I'm on is I am part of, I'm very lucky to be part of a team that is researching what space mining is going to look like in the Artemis program, NASA's newest program on the moon. And we are putting together trade studies and we're looking at policy documents. And from that, we are putting together recommendations and synthesizing analysis and we are sending those to conferences and publishing them as short papers so that other people can read our ideas and build on them. And it's all about how we can use resources in a sustainable way, how we can go to the moon and not just make it, you know, a capitalistic mining settlement where everything is used and thrown out, but how we can create a circular economy on the moon where value can be created from the resources that are plentiful on the moon and how their byproducts can be used for something else we need to do on the moon. So it's looking ahead and it's thinking about sustainability before the damage even begins to happen. And it is one of the most exciting topics to me because, you know, it is such a fledgling. It has just been born. 
That's really cool. So it's basically you're looking into a closed system, trying to create what is essentially a closed system where you take beginning Genesis yeah. to and all that, and everything just works. And exactly gets recycled and gets reworked and gets recycled. That's really cool. I love that. That's that's awesome. Exactly. And, and I love the fact that it convinced multiple nations to do so because it's one thing if it's a company doing that, but how do you transfer materials between different nations that don't necessarily want to cooperate? So yeah. it's thinking about that problem in advance. Especially since we're not doing a very good job of it on the plant, our own planet right now. <laughs> we're doing we're not, a really good job of making a whole lot of trash and not not actually re finding ways to reuse and or you know repurpose. We have there are definitely some things that are out there. There are definitely plenty of companies that are, are are doing the work, but uh, the we need definitely need to work on that mindset. But that's just really cool. That's the idea. It's almost like having it's like let's have a gas station on the moon so that we can just keep going to Mars to check out this and like you know move things around mm -hmm. and. And yeah, that's wild. That's really, really interesting. Yeah, yeah I gotta, I keep, yeah. please keep me posted. It's really cool topic. <laughs> and I love the fact that it's all Yes, I love this organization. Um, just to put a little pitch out for it, it is not just engineers by any means. It is literally everyone who is interested in space and the future of humanity. And best of all, it's not alone. It's actually affiliated with the United Nations. It was built as an advisory capacity to take the temperature of young people all over the world. And from our conferences and all of the work we do, we actually get to send annual reports to the United Nations to say how we think possible improvements could happen. And so, you know, it starts out small. It starts out on a, you know, an hour a week volunteer basis. But there's, I don't even know how many members, thousands easily. I don't know if we go up into the tens of thousands, but we probably do. Um, but all of these people all over the world, and you don't even get to meet half of them, but everyone works on little things and it trickles up instead of down. And then the leaders of this, there are two full-time paid employees, the only paid ones, and they work out of the office in Luxembourg, close to the United Nations, of course. And they work full-time coordinating these volunteer efforts, coordinating conferences to help young people become part of the industry, and then coordinating research efforts like the one I'm a part of, and then eventually using that to hopefully make a difference down the line. And it's at spacegeneration.org, and I love them so much. It is the best group of people who all just care about what happens next, and that is all I ever wanted in space. That's really amazing. Uh, and you, yeah. we had talked before about hum space, human, um, oh gosh, completely blanking on the name of the project that you said was they're looking to send just everyday citizens to space as part of oh, sure. bring back what is oh gosh what is it called why can't i you you'll know i will um, space for humanity space for humanity that's what i was like space, space humanity. humanity i'm like no, that doesn't sound right i think we're missing something Okay. Yeah, that undergrad friend that I told you about, her name is Rachel Lyons, the one yep. who, you know, we were talking about, you know, in our conversation, it was feminine leadership styles and how they sometimes get quenched in engineering. She is the executive director of that. And she took on that role after leaving undergrad. She found people who cared about these problems as much as, you know, we all do about the future and what comes next and how does it help Earth. And she decided that in order to make the best use of all of her knowledge about space, she didn't just want to get a job with her engineering degree. She wanted to work more as that program manager figure, and she wanted to help run this nonprofit. 
Now, Space for Humanity aims to send people into space, obviously. And the goal is to nominate, find, uh, and create these citizen astronauts, people who apply from all over the world and who aren't constricted by career. They do not have to be involved in space before at all, or nation. They don't have to be part of the US, which is a big thing because if you're not a US citizen, there's a lot of jobs you can't do in US space. Yeah. Most of them, in fact, because they're all, you know, it's it's funny when your job could either be sending things to Mars or be sending ballistic missiles at Earth. It's the same set of skills, but used in different ways. Right. Um, so that creates difficulties. And Space for Humanity wants to send these people on flights. I'm not sure what height they're flying at. I think they usually talk about LEO. But they're going, Leo, oh, an acronym. I did it. I spoke in jargon. Okay. Okay. Low Earth Orbit. See, it's a, it's a plague. We have to get ourselves out of it when we communicate. It's all good. Well, you stop yourself and, 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 and uh, yeah. define it so that we now know what it is. Now we all know what Leo yeah. is. So Low We're Earth Orbit is what you can get to that's not very high above Earth. It is where you can orbit and hover, but you're still very close to the Earth. You know, sometimes when I'm on a work day or I'm shopping or grocery shopping, I'm actually closer to satellites that are flying in Leo than I am to my home or my work office. It is not far away. It is insane how close we are to these satellites if you just point straight up. But part of sending citizen astronauts up to that height is so that they can see something called the overview effect. The overview effect is the experience that we were talking about earlier, where you can see the Earth from space, without borders, without capitals, without politics. And you can understand the interconnectedness of our species, not just at an intellectual level, because you can think about it for a long time and be inspired. The overview effect is an actual psychological effect that Frank White, an author of many books, including The Overview Effect, and recently, as of this year, The New Camelot, is trying to write about and quantify through interviews with astronauts, both private and public astronauts, now that we have some commercial ones, to see what experiences they have and how their, you know, how their mind fundamentally changes after having had this experience. It's not really a surprise that Earth Day was founded because we looked at a picture of Earth taken from the moon. I'm pretty sure that was the direct reason why they cited founding it. Yeah. When you look at the Earth, just, you know, that pale blue dot suspended on a sunbeam, to use Carl Sagan's words, you realize how delicate it is. In fact, the atmosphere of the Earth, for all we talk about using the atmosphere or polluting the atmosphere, it's only about the thickness of an eggshell compared to an entire egg. It is so thin and so fragile and so beautiful. And you know, you can tell that just by looking at pictures of it. Imagine actually being out there and looking down at it and having a moment of absolute awe first. And then secondly, absolute terror at the way that we treat that thin eggshell, the way we don't take care of it. Right. And so Space for Humanity wants to give more people around the world this experience and then send them back as ambassadors to their communities in order to make changes. People who experience the overview effect 
become public speakers, they become authors, they become environmentalists. They find ways to translate what they've experienced into something amazing on earth. And so the idea is that these ambassadors will be able to plant little seeds and be able to support ultimately one of the United Nations sustainable development goals, things like education and sustainability, climate you know, control or whatever you wanna call it and use what they've learned about seeing the earth to make a difference. And so this company is a nonprofit that tries to take normal people like you and me and a fifth grader over there uh, up into space. Could you imagine, by the way, could you imagine going to space as a fifth grader? Oh my gosh, I Forget love it. now, I'm like as a fifth grader. Day. My mind would be blown I would, if I was. Oh my gosh. And they would have the purest experience too because they'd just be saying exactly what they see. Their mind would be blown in a way that just doesn't come with any baggage. I think that, you know, risk factors aside, waivers aside, would be the coolest <laughs> thing just to see. There was a program, Blue Moon, that got famous a couple of years back. Um, not Blue Moon, what am I saying? Blue, Blue Planet. Um, not Blue Planet either. Oh. Um, you know, I'm having a quick blank moment. There was an Asian entrepreneur who wanted to pair with SpaceX and send artists to the moon. Oh. And it got very famous. He wanted to send six artists on the initial flight, which wasn't going to land on the moon, but which was going to go around the moon. I'm having a word stumble because there's a company, Blue Origin, that also has an engineering program called Blue Moon. And so now everything's all jumbled up in my head as to which is which. But the idea of sending people who aren't engineers is very important because We've only ever really had engineers experience this kind of thing. And as you said, our vocabulary can be pretty limited. Imagine what a singer would produce after coming home. Imagine what a sculptor would create. Oh, Having yeah. more people experience this and come back will give other singers and other writers and other artists someone who they can identify with who has experienced something like this. And hopefully, just hopefully, it'll create connections and create a new generation that understands our place in the universe in a way that past ones haven't had the option to. Right, and within each other, within our own space. Yeah. You know, within the big, 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 big picture. And then within the big our- The big space and the small Yeah, the big space and the little space. Um, yeah, that is, it is, it is such a beautiful planet. It is unbelievable and to it's see it from that perspective planet. it's just it's yeah. you know when you see like the the balance of everything and how it all by the way i gotta go back real quick mm -hmm. the fact i feel like if judging by going like being you know i'll forget it i'm not even gonna like my brain is still trying to process this so i'm not even gonna be able to articulate it in a way that makes any <laughs> sense so i'm just gonna skip that um but yeah so so the beautiful planet um, yeah, that would be amazing because again, like you're saying, it's, it's, we're, we're talking about people's perspectives and backgrounds and experiences that are different and bringing something different to the table and, um, mm -hmm. a new way of looking at the world, a new way of looking at space, a new way of looking at all of us and our interconnectivity and, and what our roles are and the, the values of all of our individual experiences mm -hmm. and voices. Um, yeah. yeah, that's really cool. I get horrible motion sickness, so I would not be a candidate, I'm sure, because I just, I just feel like it would go horribly wrong. But I'm happy to let other people do it um, because I just, be, I just would love to see what people come back with. I mean, 
we, it's yeah. inspiring just walking around on the planet, you know, in these mm-hmm. little bits. And, and I was actually went out today. I had a doctor's appointment. And then on the way back, I was like, it's fall in New England. I have a camera. Yeah. I should really just see if I can find a really cool place to take pictures. And unfortunately, I went to this park, which was gorgeous, but there were no open spaces. So I was walking through the trees, but you couldn't really see all the different colors because they were like, yeah. you, just, you couldn't. Again, it was, I was in the Half tree chart and sort of the, yeah. Anyway, um, but I was just thinking like, this is just, it's gorgeous. It's And there was a little snake that's livered off the trail and a little frog and these crazy little birds going crazy. And um, it was it's just, it was just beautiful. It was so peaceful and, and just, I don't know, there's so much beauty that's here and, you know, it is such an incredible planet and to get people on board to realize that we, we kind of need to, you know, yeah. take care of it. We um, do. But I'm kind of hoping that, you know, with the projects, you know, getting around the moon and, and, and potentially habitating somewhere else or even just being able to visit and come back and whatever, the idea of having a sustainable world somewhere else can be carried over here and ideas for that and making that happen can be carried back here Mm -hmm. saying, okay, guys, if we can do this there without an atmosphere or whatever, we can do this here. You know, we can, and maybe that'll spur some other, again, spurring different ideas from different perspectives and and backgrounds and experiences. Yeah. I mean, other planets are amazing. I've made, you know, my professional career about different planets and how cool I think they are. And they are, there's, so much variety in the universe, but there is something very fundamental, even for people like me, who literally want to spend their whole career trying to get other people or myself to Mars. Even if we were able to go to Mars and live there and settle there, every moment is going to be regulated because of science, because we are not naturally built for that planet. Right. And I just think it is the most amazing thing that we have the planet that we do, that we are so well suited for it, um, that it is not just suited for us, that we can live, but that it's an inspirational place that we walk around and we don't just live, but we experience, you know, mental transcendence, just looking at what we have. And that is not something that is guaranteed in all of yeah. the planets of the universe. Um, yeah, there we have to so create many. it. <laughs> exactly. And it's not just something that exists. It's also something that we create. Um, you know, all of human history is, is beautiful. And it is something that really does need to be reflected upon in order to experience that feeling of like, wow, this is all here. One reason that I think space is becoming more diverse and filled with more kinds of people is that people are stopping seeing space as just a way to hurt other parts of the earth. And they're not just seeing it as a way to escape the earth. They're seeing it as a way to create other places within our reach. Because once we have multiple places and we see the earth as just one of them, maybe we'll appreciate a little bit more its place among everything else. And also the interconnectivity of like going beyond the earth, that the earth is part of a bigger thing as well. Yeah. And that it isn't it's just part about... of a larger system and it's amazing. Yeah. It interacts with the system. It's not isolated. It is in a vacuum, but it's not in a vacuum. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and it's it's pretty amazing how all of these planets and stars, they've all interacted with each other in order to film form this moment that we all live in. And that is a mind-blowing proposition to me. 
Well, even something as simple as thinking of the tides and the moon, the connection between the, mm-hmm. our tides and the moon and our the the seasons yeah. and everything with the sun. And like, so it's not, we're not, we, yeah, we are a vacuum in the sense that we are the only planet that is sustained our kind of life and the kinds of life that we see here. But we're not in a vacuum in the sense that we, again, much like we, like as individuals think we operate, a lot of people, not a lot, but there are plenty of people that think that they operate in a vacuum and like, you know, what happens in this, even just in this town doesn't affect that town, even if it's, you know, two towns down river. It's like, well, yeah, if you pollute your water there, it's going to come down to my water here. Yeah. It's just, that's how rivers flow. You know, it's, um, but it's like there are people that seem to think there's boundaries and that's just it. It ends. If you're, you have, yeah. you're creating a whole lot of pollution in your country, it's going to move around the world because there's winds, yeah. you know, and there's it all know, interrupts. jet streams. The <laughs> Right. Just because right. people stop doesn't mean the earth stops. And it's the same way with the universe. Just because right. we exist on the earth doesn't mean the earth stops interacting with everything around it. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, oh, this is so cool. It's just very inspirational. I feel like I need to go out and look at stars tonight, except that we have a cloudy night. <sighs> yeah, I think but... we're going to have one too. But I think I'll spend the night outdoors nonetheless. Try to enjoy it a little bit. Are you guys getting cold weather now? Are you, how's your. We are. Yeah. I mean, luckily we have been passed by, by most of the, you know, fire. Uh, We haven't been terribly hurt by that, but it has been smoky out here. Uh, I live right outside of Denver and, you know, in the past couple of weeks, we've had smoke clouds passing over us and we've had our own fires start locally at a smaller scale. So on the days when we can just have a clear night, it is nice, Uh, but it is finally fall. It is not, you know, 80 degrees all the time. It gets chilly into the 40s at night. You can, you know, pull a blanket around yourself in your backyard and enjoy it. We have a, we had a cold snap here. Snap, it was chilly for a few days. And I was actually in Maine, um, Mm -hmm. way all the way up in Maine. And, uh... And now it's 80 degrees, which is weird because I'm in northern Massachusetts. Yeah. So it's like, this is just not, and it's going to be like this for like another two days and then it's going to get back to normal. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, yeah, it's getting those crispy mm-hmm. fall fall nights, which are awesome. We popped so. up to 70 today. We got to enjoy the warmth and now all of the heat's going to suck away and we're <laughs> going to have a nice chilly night to enjoy. That's what I like when I went out there years and years and years ago to go skiing. And I remember mm-hmm. one of my favorite things about skiing out there was it was cold at night, but during the day when you were skiing, because I was used to northeast skiing, which is just bitter, period. It's just cold and horrible and windy and just miserable. And out there, we had like, it was like 55 degrees and you're just skiing in essentially a shell. Mm-hmm. And it was um, and sunny and beautiful. Yeah. I was like, I could get used to this. Yeah. The sunshine out here during the day is incredible. Yeah, and I had been used to growing up skiing, on a, but it's basically which is like a giant mountain of ice and, you know, 10 below with the wind chill factor. And I was like, there's just mm-hmm. no, no. Yeah. So anyway, Shana, thank you so much for giving me your time, telling about your experiences, sharing all of the cool things you're working on and what's going on out there in space um, and in that sector. And um, I really appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's inspirational to me to talk to someone who's doing something, one that's just so different than I do because it's just really cool in general, but also that is, you know, multi, so multifaceted and so interested in making the world a better place in so many ways and, and the universe and expanding beyond. And, um, yeah, that was awesome. It was great to talk to you. It was 
It was wonderful talking to you. You bring up so many interesting points and, you know, you just see how it's all interconnected. And I really appreciated that. It was so much fun to talk about all of this. Well, I'm hoping that all of these, these podcasts get out to more people so that they know and they start to see these connections more and more and more and start to be more aware and, and, um, and also again, seeing themselves represented in different fields that they maybe not, wouldn't have had someone in front of them or even told growing up, like you said, as kids, no one told you that you could be an engineer as a math person. Nobody told you. And like, sometimes it just takes that one person hearing it that, makes all the difference in the world and sets you off on that trajectory. It might be a zigzaggy trajectory, like you said. It's a zigzag. It probably will be. Yeah. And zigzags are actually good because it adds a lot more depth to the experience. Um, And I feel like it makes you much more adaptable, which is always a good trait to have in any career and life. Um, But yeah, so hopefully you can be a a voice for many people. Um, I hope so. You know, if anyone happens to be listening to this, this is something I've taken to saying online recently. If you are listening to this, if any of this, you know, stirred something in you and you were like, that's cool. You know, that could be something I care about. If it has nothing to do with engineering, that's fine. If you're a white male, that's okay too. You don't have to be a woman to reach out to me. Uh, If anyone is listening to this and just wants to chat about it with someone, see if it suits them, wants a networking opportunity, I am all over social media right now uh, because of work from home. I'm available on social media platforms. Um, I'll be so happy to pass that information along. And I use the username space underscore Shana a bunch of the time, mimicking my favorite astronauts. And I would be so happy to talk to anyone who has any love for all of this. Awesome. Well, whatever links that you want to send, we can add them at the end of this, at the end of the podcast, and I'll make sure that they're included in wherever this is broadcast. Um, But yeah. So thank you so much. And I will let you go and I'm going to run because I'm actually going to do a video recording for kids, for like six to 10 year old kids for tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like so much fun. I hope you have a great time with that. Oh, it's, I am very excited. I am very excited, but, um, I need to actually put it together, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which would help. So, but thank you. And we'll be definitely in touch. I'll send you all the info for when, when it's basically going to go, you know, the plan to get it to go live. I, in the meantime, any links that you'd like me to include any organization stuff that you want me to yeah. add on there at the space for humanity. The effect, yeah. I can throw it all in there so everyone can see it and it'll all be in one space. Uh, again, fun <laughs> space. Always. Always. Awesome. Anyway, I hope you have a really nice evening. Thank you. You too. And we will chat soon. Thanks so much for tuning in and joining us today. If you want to learn more about projects and people Shana mentioned on the podcast, head on over to Space for Humanity at spaceforhumanity.org, the right stuff at thenewrightstuff.com, right spelled W-R-I-G-H-T, the overview effect by Frank White, Space Generation at spacegeneration.org, and the Matthew Isakowitz Fellowship. To follow Shana's adventures, find her on LinkedIn at Shana Hume and at Instagram and Twitter at space underscore Shana. Shana spelled S-H-A. A-Y-N-A. If you want to check out other Nature Knows podcasts, head on over to lateshiftmedia.com. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to Nature Knows Conversations with Wild Warriors and Changemakers. We'll see you next time.